Hi, and welcome along to the Know My Faith Monday podcast. My guest is Lou Meyer from OAC, now it's former national director. Yeah, I used to be the national director yeah. um, at 15 years. Right. And now and Auckland busboy. Yeah, Auckland, basically yeah. I'm just one of the boys, but I am sort of responsible for the Auckland Northland kind of branch, plus okay. our community cool. chaplains sort of training as well. So what is OAC all about? Okay, what well, is OAC? Yeah, well, OAC, um, we say it used to be open-air campaigners. So basically it was guys who went out with bands and caravans and preached the gospel on the streets. Yep. And we do a bit of that, not usually with bands and caravans now, but we do get out there where people are. We do programs on the streets and do a lot of market stuff. We go to schools, university, techs, wherever people are really. We do school assemblies. Yep. And so we're basically communicators of the gospel. And of course, the gospel wasn't made to be really preached in the church, although that's valid yep. time to time. But it was a going, it's an outgoing message, right. isn't it? So we get out. We there. will get into that later. Oh, good, good. Yeah. So it's outreach yeah. and church yeah. ministries now, OAC ministries. All right. And part of that is um, something which is reasonably new for OAC, which is the community chaplains. Yeah, it is. And that, that uh, ministry, which comes under OAC, is to equip individual people to go out and non sort of in your face evangelism, yep. but to show the love of show the love of Jesus and then share the love of Jesus when appropriate. So it's sort of meeting people at their point of need. Yeah. So basically, they're the right sort of people normally, so we give them a, give them some training and a T-shirt and um, they get out into it. And, and they're really a link between their church and their community. A lot of the problems with people that get enthusiastic and want to be uh, evangelistic, yeah. for want of a better word, is they're almost too much in your face. And, and uh, I was saying to somebody the other day, he was talking about selling something. I said, you don't want to sell anybody anything. I said, what you want is for people to buy it from you. And sadly, what we do as Christians, we're sort of, I sell you, you have yeah. to believe what I believe. That's right. And I think there's a reason for that. Well, if, firstly, um, out there ministry kind of does attract a slightly loopy sort. And they're often... So I say you are involved in out there <laughs> yeah, ministry. Yeah, yeah, well, I'm yeah, okay. a bit loopy. You know. yeah, say no more. But, <laughs> but um, basically, uh, some of these people are fairly socially inept, so they're not... They're not reading. They're not reading the person they're yeah. talking to, and we want to avoid that sort of thing. But the other thing is, I, a lot of people they're in their enthusiasm and they believe these people are lost and desperately need Jesus, which they do. Is they kind of like bowl over the beehive to get the honey. Yeah. So they they try to push for a commitment for the pe people already, and I, I mean, trying to help people understand that people are on a journey, and as Christian communicators, our task is is to take them a step in the right direction. And to try to make sure we don't push them back in the wrong direction, yeah. which these people might be doing. I think there's a role for that, but you've got to do it with a love in your heart and a smile on your face yeah. and warmth. You know, uh, I was talking to somebody earlier. Um, it's, about, it's about answering the question that's asked and not answering the question that's not asked. Hmm. And uh, in the early days, my mum was a, a typing tutor and, uh, and word processing in the early days. So we had one of those Amstrad computers even in the 70s. And so here's me at 17, 18, I'm going, Mom, Mom, how do I do this on my computer? And she'd say, well, you do this and this and this, and then you do. I go, no, 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 I don't want, and then you do. Yeah. <laughs> I'll call you when I need that. Mm -hmm. And often we get too enthusiastic and we start answering questions that people haven't asked and that's, put them off. Yeah, well, that's right. Or we feel we have to download the whole counsel of God <laughs> in one sitting. Yeah. And they, they just can't absorb that. And I think it's partly trusting the Holy Spirit for discernment and reading the person 
and asking the right questions so that you kind of figure out where they are so you know where how you can take them to the yep. next step. And as I said to a group of people yesterday, look, ripe fruit isn't hard to pick. When they're there, you just share the gospel. Yeah. And they come to Christ, yep. you know, they, if they put their trust in Christ. And it's the Holy Spirit that does that. Absolutely. Yep. And it, well, it's a cooperative yep. feature, isn't yep. it? The Holy Spirit deigns to use us um, for yep. some reason. Yep. In spite of all of our faultiness, he's able to overrule our... I mean, a lot of people come to Christ for some very terrible sh uh, gospel-sharing attempts. Oh, so yeah. that I, keeps you humble. I'll tell you one of my favourites. Um, we had uh, Ron Matson from Pornonia House, uh, Chuck Missler's offsider. Mm -hmm. And as a church, we were looking at the, the feasts of Israel and how they line up with the, uh, the betrothal processes of the ancient mm -hmm. Jews. And so I said to Ron, I said, look, can you come over and be our speaker for Pentecost mm -hmm. and talk about Pentecost on the Saturday night? And then on Sunday, can you talk about how this betrothal process matches up with the feasts? And he said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Saturday night was great. Sunday morning he gets up and he says, well, Pastor Rob's asked me to preach about marriage. I'm going, no, I didn't. <laughs> so he's he's preaching away. It was a good message. Mm. Um, we had in the couple uh, in, in the church a couple and the wife is French and so they hosted a lot of French uh, tourists and there was a young girl, I can't remember her name, Claire, I think it was. She was in the back of the church. Halfway through Ron's message, she, she starts crying and weeping. And at the end of the message, she rushes forward to meet Jesus. Not to get married. No, just to make And I asked her, I asked her, I said, what was it that afterwards? I said, what was it that Ron said that made you realize yeah. you needed Jesus? She goes, when he said, wives obey your husbands. Well, wow. I'm, I'm going, oh, yes, the most evangelistic verse in the Bible. <laughs> it's quite an important one, though, don't you? Well, it is. Yeah. But it, again, it's, it's cooperative. Somebody has yeah, to share yeah. the message, but it's the Holy Spirit that does it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And often, you know, you ask what less people in your message and it was something you didn't expect or didn't even remember you said. So. Yeah, that's right. Um, you've just come back from uh, Lake Learning, which is uh, a bunch of people that want to dig deeper into the Bible. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's a camp about seven days. The food is uh, magnificent. And so I've got to go home and do some dieting now. But, um, but we try to provide spiritual food and, and it's really for uh, young people that are at the sort of uh, senior high school university level but older adults love it as well so we're getting a, a bit of a mixture coming along and they it's basically to go deeper into the word of god so like when you come if you come for the first year you get me on evangelism yep if you come for the second year you'll get me on apologetics if you come for the third year you get me on cults and so religions define apologetics and hear how to share the gospel with them so apologetics is explaining the evidence that's that shows us that our faith is true. Right. So historical evidence, evidence for design and nature, archaeological evidence for the truth of the Bible, uh, evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ and his deity, and the hard questions that people ask when you share the gospel with them. Yeah, yeah and we're going to get to that too because you do a lot of that uh, on-the-street gospel sharing, mm -hmm. um, and there's, there's an amazing ignorance in New Zealand in particular of what it is that Christians believe. Yeah, I think there is. I mean, um, I think there is. We, we are no longer an educated culture, partly because we've had a whole lot of other cultures come into New Zealand. Yeah. And um, and they don't really know what Kiwis are supposed to believe. Quite a few of them, like Filipinos, have got a Catholic background, most of them, but a lot of them have got have, uh, are Chinese. And I, we had a fellow the other day I was talking to, and he said, 
um, he's a Chinese fellow, and, and I was chatting to him about spiritual things. He says, oh, I'm a, I'm a Buddhist. I said, oh, yeah, yeah. And then later on I said, no, do you believe in God? He said, yes, I do. Now, that doesn't make any sense because a Buddhist technically doesn't believe, doesn't believe in, in God. God. Yeah. But as another helpful fellow pointed out, this fellow's got a whole mixture of beliefs. And um, and a lot of it is ancient Chinese folk religion, which has Shangdi as the concept of God. Yeah. So it's all about working your way through this and re- really relaying found, uh, the, the beliefs from the foundations up so that a biblical belief system develops in their thinking and on a biblical belief system was only on a biblical belief system a true belief system that jesus and salvation makes sense and so it's with me i I sort of believe in starting from the foundations and building up however having said that i think people sort of operate at two levels a lot of people have got the top level they're, they're all confused and mixed up and they say well i'm an agnostic or an atheist or i'm not sure what i am G-I. but at another level we need at a, and this level is what we suppress suppressed by our wickedness in romans mm. one there is actually a genuine belief in god as a person yeah and we, the, this is the thing when you mention romans one paul says that that god has placed the knowledge of himself yeah i.e. Jesus Christ, Yahweh, yep. inside every human being. That's right. Be it Buddhist, Muslim, atheist. So I think when you're sharing with somebody, you know, it's not about us just untangling, but it's about recognizing that we want to communicate to that deeper level and the Spirit of God can open up that deeper level and we want to help them to understand their belief system. So apologetics for me is about really, because you can't really win somebody to Christ an argument alone. No. Apologetics is about removing obstacles to coming to Christ. And one of the biggest obstacles is evolution. Yeah. Because the evolutionary belief system and the Bible, as far as I'm concerned, are out of harmony. I was just talking to uh, Michael Cook from Creation Ministries. Yeah. And uh, like many people, we just talked about his faith and, and evolution. And he talked about how in high school, very, very uh, influential teacher said, well, some people believe that God created the, the world and the universe, but we know from science that da-da-da-da-da. There are, and I know this This is one of the reasons why you have late learning and you used to run something called, I think it was Basecamp, um, for students transitioning into tertiary study because they're going to get bombarded with evolution and sadly, because of the state of the church today, they don't have the foundation of right. what we believe yeah. theologically they don't have it but they don't have it scientifically yeah. either so that they, they when somebody comes along and says this they go oh okay yeah yeah and 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 um yeah they don't because the church hasn't valued apologetics really um it was seen the real need for building people up you know the bible says always be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have mm. So how do we do that? Well, we learn how to answer the questions. So we go into to apologetics. But uh, a lot of young people are theologically ignorant. They don't know or understand the basic Bible doctrines. And they're living under guilt because if you don't, I mean, doctrines of the Bible and depth of theology sets you free. Yeah. And it'll give you joy in your heart and helps you to understand that you are saved and, uh, and how to remove guilt and things like that. Um, so these look these young people that they come to this camp it's expensive um but they just go away they've grown so much in one week and they've just got a joy because they've grown deeper into god because what you do is you take them into the bible 
yeah. to show them their yeah. faith from the scripture. Yeah. So I, I'm only one of the lecturers. So yeah. like they have first year, they have six lectures out of me in on evangelism, and the second year, six on apologetics. Uh, but there are others, some guys doing Bible doctrines. Uh, we've got a whole variety of different lecturers, so they go from one lecturer to another. Or actually, we we do the circuit. Yeah. And um, yeah, look, it's great. And the questions they ask, and of course, they're right up against it morally. Yep. And trying to live in a like Daniel in a world and having to work out what's compromised and what's not. And so I spent last night, you know, chatting to somebody about some moral issues. And it's just a joy because, I mean, I've been through all that. And I, if, I, if I'd have had what we're providing when I was younger, it would have made a bit of a difference. I for think me. for a lot of us, it, it would have. Yeah. Um, what are some of the comments from those that are coming back for the second, third year when, when they're going back? You know, last year, Lou, you said this or one of the other speakers said this and that changed me. Um, I, didn't, I didn't get a lot of that. I, I believe it's there. <laughs> But, I mean, what speaks for itself is that we've got people who've come back six or seven years now. Yep. And they look forward to it and they love it. And one guy, I did cults and religions, you know, so they basically said, I've been looking forward to that since I started okay. coming here because they can't get cults and religions till the third year. So. Okay, yeah. So that's how it operates at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. So they come along with what level would you say for the first years, what level of biblical understanding? Pretty basic, and, and it depends. I mean, a, a, a lot of these kids are from Brethren Assemblies, and but not all of them by any means, but the ones from Brethren Assemblies do tend to have a better knowledge, mm -hmm. but that's more a thing of the past than it is now. Uh, um, you know, in the old days, you would, you would go to one of these type churches and you would expect a high level of Bible knowledge. You know, they taught the Bible stories at Sunday school, right from when they're young. But now TV, movies, yeah. their time is wasted on things that aren't important. Have time. we assumed in the church um, a biblical knowledge of our children? Do we, do we assume that our children, because I believe this and because I know this and because I know the Bible this says this and because they're my children, I'm assuming that, you know, we, we, we used to get with Daniel, uh, we'd go, have you got your bag packed? You go, why? Well, because we're going to Auckland for the weekend. Well, nobody told me. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, it's like, yeah. oh, everybody we else assume they know. We assume they know. Yeah, I mean, it depends. If you've been overseeing their teaching and, and if you've had them involved in a church where there is good teaching of Bible truth and Bible stories in Sunday school level and they're involved in that, well, I guess you can assume that they've they've understood it. And if your example of Christianity is 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 positive, that's a, that's a great combination mm -hmm. to affect their faith. But certainly uh, a lot of churches today, you can't assume that at all. They, some of them don't hardly have any Bible stories. They have some nice thoughts and stuff like that in their yep. teaching and a lot of entertainment to keep the kids involved and some colouring in and stuff like that. And I think they underestimate the, the, the amount of the potential that these kids have to actually take in and understand good biblical teaching. And they cart the kids off to some inane programme. I'm being a little bit cynical. Yeah. And uh, where, as a matter of fact, if they actually sat in on the sermons, you know, they might only pick up 50% of what's said, but they're listening. They might pick up a bit more. And they can be colouring in, yeah. or they might be. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Jesus spoke in parables. He, he told 
word pictures, stories. The mm. Old Testament is com- is replete with stories. Absolutely. Which, when you and I were going to Sunday school, that was the, the that was the the bread and meat. Yep. Of Sunday school the Bible was stories. Daniel and the lions did. It was Jonah and the whale. It That's was right. Abraham and this. It was Joseph and that. So we got to know them. We got to know them. But yeah. if it, yeah, we, they don't do that now. Well, not as much. There are some that do. There's glorious exceptions, <laughs> but a lot of churches and kids programs um, don't give enough of that. I don't think. You've been in the church for a while. You speak in different churches around the country. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I'm probably All sorts a little of bit abominations. Oh, denominations. <laughs> I'm a little bit biased here in the question, but what level would you put the average New Zealand Christian with their biblical knowledge, their scriptural knowledge? I'd say pretty low. Think about it. A lot of them aren't involved in home groups, and if they are, they may be topical rather than biblical. Most Christians don't read their Bible until they turn up to church. Sadly. Yes. And most Christians are so busy in today's world making it in this materialistic world that they don't put aside the time to do serious Bible study. So it can be all pretty superficial. And in a lot of churches, they never get the opportunity to use some gifting if they've got it for preaching and teaching because the professionals do it from up the front, which is actually a non-biblical model in my opinion and is counterproductive. But um, how's Lou Meyer ever going to play guitar with the worship team if we've got Eric Clapton? Yeah, I know. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, Eric would be welcome if he did come along, but um, okay. <laughs> I'll give him my guitar. <laughs> that, but that, I mean, that's uh, but, another point of the other thing. It's, it's putting it into practice. The other thing is when I was a young preacher, I got invited to preach at these rural churches, mm-hmm. and I was terrified. Because these I farmers. You were going to say you were terrible. Well, I was too, but uh, well, it was pretty hard because you turn up. And you go through the you go through the basics, the preliminaries in the service. And these guys got up to milk the cows at five o'clock in the morning. And when you get up to preach, that's the signal. It's time for a siesta. <laughs> and you've got to stand on your head, tell story after story, try to hold them with you. Yep. So it's quite good training, but it was actually quite terrifying. But the other thing that was really terrifying about it is this. These farmers, you know, once they've milked their cows, a lot of them were students of the scriptures. So I'd turn up as a young pup. And these guys had a huge amount of theological knowledge, yeah. and I'm and I'm trying to preach truth to them, and I'm terrified what they're going to say to me after the sermon, you know. And then from time to time they will correct you, most yeah. mostly graciously, but um, we don't see much of that sort of depth of the Word of God, you know. It's kind of like that's a professional's job. I'll come along, sit and listen to the sermon. Yeah. But if that's all you're getting in the week, and some of the sermons are not very nutritious anyway. Um, they might be quite nice little pep talks, but some are good. But if that's all you're getting in the week, I mean, you're up against the devil seven days a week. Yeah, You're only getting one day a week of feeding and strengthening. It's a little bit, I think it's undernourished. And it's so like, how, do we, how do we go about enticing that Christian to actually pick up their Bible and, and, and read? Because, um, because I mean, seriously, I don't need to because I believe in Jesus and when I die, I'm going to heaven. Yeah, yeah. I... I um, I think we need to recognize, or we need to somehow get the message across, that the Bible is as critical, and the Word of God, you know, however, I mean, for a lot of the centuries of the church, the Christians didn't have their own Bible in their yeah. home. So they'd, yeah. they'd plot on down to the church and read the, or hear the Bible read or something like that. But there are two offensive weapons in Christianity, 
And um, a soldier going into battle needs offensive weapons and needs to be familiar with them. So one is prayer and the other is the word of God. The others are all kind of defensive, you know, if you yep. look at Ephesians 6. And so basically people need to understand that they're going in. I think the reason is they don't understand that we are in a battle. We're behaving like we're in peacetime. Yep. But the enemy doesn't think it's peacetime. No, never has. So he's attacking our faith. He's attacking our family. And if we haven't got the word of God and prayer and regular, uh, then we're t- we're weak and we're going to, you know, we're going to be under attack and we're going to fail. And so I think people have lost their grip on the urgency of spiritual warfare. You can't use John 3.16 in every situation. No. You know, if you have, if you are using a sword, I mean, the Bible likens the word of God to, to the, it says it's the sword of the spirit. If you have a sword, you can't just use the one sword stroke for no. every attack of the enemy. It's no, just not right. going to work. You have to know the different sword strokes. Uh, Jesus used the sword as a parrying weapon and as an attacking weapon uh, in the wilderness against Satan. You, mm. You've got to know the word to be able to wield the word. That's right. That's right. And, uh, and and it's quite a challenge to know that some Muslims leave their universities knowing the Quran by heart. Yeah, the whole lot. And some Christians who've been Christians for a year, you'd be lucky if they knew 10 verses by heart. Yeah. And we used to be able to quote Psalm 23. Everybody, every Christian. Yeah. And the other thing is that I think that people have drawn back from evangelism. When you're when you're evangelizing, somebody asks you a question that you don't know the answer to. So what do you do? You go back and have a dig and you learn. Yeah. But if you're not out there never being asked any questions, you don't feel that need to learn. And it was Geisler, Norman Geisler, who said, you know, when you become a when you go out and share the gospel, you become an apologetist. Because people ask questions. And apologetics is really just learning how to answer the questions. Yep. And, and, you know, when you think about it, that thing of making a priority evangelism, uh, Jesus said, make disciples. To me, that that is the main thing for the church. It summarizes what he told us to do. Go and make disciples. Two words, make disciples. And when you make disciples, it solves a lot of other problems. Um, you don't squabble about the, ins- the things so much in a church because they're not that important. But it also, it, it throws you back on the Word of God and you start to grow yourself and you get excited. Um, and um, and surely you'd be... And, and, and Paul you, said, sorry, yeah, I'm butting in here. No, no, I'm, but, no I'm actually butting on, butting on your butting, butting in. Yeah. Yeah. So butt out. <laughs> no, no, we're right. So Paul says, you know, what I handed on to you was of first importance. Yep. And he said, the gospel. Christ died for our sins. According to the scriptures. Yeah, and yeah. it's first importance means that this is actually the most important thing. And, uh, and and when you actually get engage uh, people in evangelism and discussions, then then you sense that need to know the word better, and it yeah. comes alive. You know, yeah, yeah. So, you, you have to know it better because people yeah. are asking you about it, and you need the answers. You need those extra yeah. sword strokes and things. Yeah. And look, I would recommend. I wouldn't want to be legalistic about this, but you know, young people grow up, and the Mormons. I've just written a little book on Mormons, and I'm not suggesting you become a Mormon. Yeah. You know. And uh, unless you do want to become a god, but um, I suggest um, the Mormons have this idea that as part of your Christian development, you'll go out on a missionary journey for what is it, two years? Two years, I think, yeah. One and a half or two years, and even girls do it as well. And uh, I'm thinking, well, that's actually, even though they do it legalistically, and that's all part of what they do to get to get to godhood. 
and uh, along with other things. But um, we wouldn't want to be legalistic about it. But I think in the church we should actually we should actually set an explanation. Sorry, set an expectation for young people that okay, they'll they'll you know they go to high school or they may be homeschooled or whatever. They uh, they uh, will look at tertiary training, but look, I mean, Christ and spirituality is forever. And okay, so we'll do some tertiary training for a job for 20, 30, 40 years. Well, that's okay. It's okay. But why don't we tell them to consider putting themselves aside for a year of studying the Word of God, getting to understand it, getting to love it, but not only reading and studying, but engaging in mission and ministry as well so that it's balanced, you know. I think, uh, and this is personal opinion, I think YWAM do that best with the DTS. Yep. Um, I have seen many young people come through different programs, Bible schools, whatever, where they've gone off to 12 months for a Bible school or six months. But I think those that have gone and done a DTS uh, seem to be those that have matured in the faith and they're still going on strong. Yep. And to me, so much of that is that they are putting it into practice. Aye. They're not just... See, I, I think our, one of our problems is we look at the word disciple and we think student. Yeah. Right? Become a disciple of the word. Oh, okay, I'm, I'm going to become a disciple of the word. That's this right. is not a disciple of the word. Uh, uh, it, the, the proper word we should use is apprentice. Okay. Right? So yeah, you study, yeah, yeah. but you do. That's right. Uh, and that, to me, that's what the DTS does. And that's the model that Jesus used. Yep, absolutely. You know, taught them as they walked around the road, road days at a time sometimes. How, how are you, they put into practice. How are you a Christian if you're not doing what Christians are supposed to do? Mm. Um, do you remember Peter Poser, the guitarist? Yes, I do. Okay, so I, I met Peter. It was amazing. When I was on radio, I get this phone call. Going, hi, can I have a birthday call for Peter Poser? I go, yeah, yeah, not the not the Peter Poser, right? And she goes, yes, oh, really, Peter Poser listens to me. But then I met him. I met him and Margaret, and mm -hmm. uh, and we became friends. But when I met Peter, he hadn't actually picked up a guitar for fifteen years. Yeah, right. So Peter Poser, for those that don't know, Peter Poser was uh, one of the most famous guitarists in New Zealand in the fifties mm -hmm. and sixties. Mm -hmm. um, but he hadn't picked up a guitar for years. And and I go, was he at that point? Was he still a guitarist? Mm -hmm. Because technically, no, he wasn't. He, no, he wasn't. knew how to play guitar. That's right. I mean, praise God, he did pick it up and recorded another couple of albums. Um, but but at that point, he wasn't doing what guitarists mm. were supposed to do. So That's although right. he had the head knowledge yep. and the yep. finger knowledge, he wasn't doing. So many Christians, that they don't have the knowledge, but they're not doing right. what makes, you know. In the end, a disciple is somebody who, uh, this is a number of things. One is you... You, you follow the master, so you're where the master wants you to be. You obey the master, you do what the master wants you to do. And then you are a student, so you learn what the master wants you to learn. And it's a process of being with that person. And, you know, there's a lot of Christians in New Zealand who've got fabulous areas of gifting, but they don't use them. Right. Well, it's not an opportunity sometimes. Yeah, I know, and that's part of the way that we structure the church. We've got Eric Clapton on lead guitar, I don't need you. Yeah, that's right. It's part of the way we structure the church, and we're hung up on mega churches and uh, successes, yep. uh, numbers, and uh, big performances. But I don't think I think something's really lacking when churches are performing. You know, if I use guitarists again, Derek Lynn, the Christian musician. I know Derek. And I said, I said, where did you get your guitar? Because he's got a very unique guitaring style. Yeah. 
And uh, I said, where did you get that style? And he said, it's not from practicing, it's from performing. Yeah. Right? And I know, because I mean, I'm a guitarist. Yes. I play a proper F with a bar chord when I'm performing, but I'll do the cheats F when I'm yeah, practicing, yeah, 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 you know? Yeah. Uh, and unless you're doing the do as a Christian, you're not, you're not growing, you're not learning, because you're not actually putting it into practice. Mm. Yep. And so I really think we need to rethink the way that we do church, and a church is a community, and uh, we just need to maybe need to move outside of the restricted idea of it's a performance that happens on Sunday morning, and if you're rostered on, good, good, well done. Yep. If not, too bad. Come again in six months. And yeah. Whereas you know, people with these sort of gifts, they could be involved in all sorts of evangelistic concerts and programs. Uh, outside of the four walls. Outside of the four walls. Uh, it shows whatever. Let's talk about the gospel. Uh, I mean, you're, you're primarily, you're, you're a Bible teacher, but you're primarily, you're an evangelist. The, the gospel, the modern gospel is not necessarily the biblical gospel. Well, that's true. That's true. And I think the, I think the modern gospel is often, a, you get this all the time, you get philosophies merging. We call it syncretism. And uh, when you try to mix the Christian theology and the Christian with with another philosophy, you ruin it. You know, you water them both down, I suppose, and you and you wreck the gospel. Yeah. When you try to merge the gospel with humanism, it becomes all about me, all about enhancing my life. You know, and secularism. You know, so the gospel is about giving me a nice, more comfortable life here, or the gospel is about me being healthy, wealthy. And happy, yeah, you know. But when you look at the reality, that gospel doesn't work. You know, it seems to work for some of the leaders because they get quite wealthy in it. But, but it doesn't work for the people because they they had a rough patch. Now they think, well, I must be totally unspiritual. And and then they get disillusioned. Yeah. And 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 maybe they drift away. Whereas if we help people to understand. That the gospel means following Jesus in a world that doesn't like him and sharing the tough times, but he's with us. Now, that's a more realistic view of what the Christian life is. And I think New Zealand is getting more like that. So I think what we'll do is we'll get a bit of a purge because the freeloaders that are basically humanists with yeah. a bit of spirituality are the freeloaders. Well, it'll get a bit tough for they them. They won't like you saying that because they believe they're Christians. Yeah, they do. So the gospel really is based on, uh, first of all, it's based on God as creator. And because God's creator, he has got creator's rights to all of our lives. So every second of our existence, every part of our being is his because he made us, he owns us. And he's got the right for us to do his perfect will and to show his holiness every moment of our life. We're here for his glory, so everything we do, every moment of our existence, should bring honour to God and show how great and awesome God is. And that's why the Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, because we have given in to the Mimi monster, the self-centeredness, mm -hmm. you know, the sinful self. We either bring glory, or well, whatever we do, we don't. a lot of it doesn't bring glory to the no. Lord. And so, and it, in fact, it dishonours him. So, you don't, but you don't understand sin unless you understand the holy calling from creation that God has in their life. So he is a God, holy God who says, be holy as I am holy. And without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And so once we understand the awesomeness of his holiness, sin becomes really sinful. And the law of God is like a mirror. 
stop us justifying yeah. ourselves. And, and when you share the gospel, you see this, you know. Uh, people, you know, say, have you ever told a lie or have you ever stolen it? Oh, yeah, but hasn't everybody? So they compare themselves with, other, with yeah. others to justify themselves. But when we really understand God and his holiness, we, there's no justification. Our mouths are stopped, it says in the Bible. Eh? And, and the other thing is, unless you're realizing that you're in serious trouble, you're not wanting anybody to rescue you. And in the end, the gospel itself is a rescue plan. And uh, Christ died for our sins, was buried and rose again. That's the rescue plan. And, but unless you, you know, unless you really understand your sin, you're, uh, you're under sin, you're a rebel, you're an enemy of God, you're on the way to hell, I mean, all you want is a more comfortable life yeah. and to ease your conscience a wee bit. So the question is, if you come to Jesus on this, what can I get out of Jesus? If you come to Jesus because life isn't good and somebody tells you that come to Jesus, life will get better, that's not the gospel. Mm. If you recognize that you are a sinner before a holy God, mm. that's the gospel. That's right. That, and, you, and that he paid that price to, to clear that sin. And look, life is better. It's true that life is better because knowing God makes life better. Yeah. But it's not necessarily more, more money in the bank or more luxury. In fact, it may well be a lot of persecution and a lot of suffering. So in a sense, having eternal life... Well, actually, I mean, that's, a, that's a whole different topic because of which one of our Bible studies is on persecution. That's, that's the default setting for a Christian. Yep. So that, so that we can grow. And you don't get taught that because it's not comfortable. No. No. Right, the default setting the Bible says that as, as Christians we should be being persecuted for mm. our righteousness, mm. and out of that we will grow and become stronger. And you know, I think if we've been a Christian for years and we've never been persecuted, in a world hates God, something wrong. Yeah, we're compromising. Yeah, um, or we are so insipid in our faith that we don't we don't seem any different. We don't have a cutting edge, and people aren't offended by us. Yeah. So we've got to ask the question, well, the gospel is offensive, and if I'm not, not being a little bit offensive, not that we should be unnecessarily offensive, no. but uh, what's gone wrong? And the answer is, well, maybe, maybe I haven't actually understood faith it, properly. It's the gospel that's supposed to be offensive, not yep, necessarily not the gospel us. Yeah, not the sheriff. But somehow. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> um, You've written a number of books over the years, and you're in the middle of a series at the moment. Uh, is it five or six books? Uh, eight, actually. Eight already. Uh, good mm. news for. Right. Good news for Buddhists. Good news for yep. Hindus. Great news for. Great actually. news. My yeah, apologies. Yeah, it's not just great news, news really for. Great news. So basically, I've got a, in the series, um, and I've got one at the printer now, and three nearly there, and I've got four already in print. So it's great news for Roman Catholics. Okay, there is great news for Hindus, great news for Buddhists, and great news for Muslims. Okay, and then uh, I've got great news for Mormons at the printer at the moment, great news for Jehovah's Witnesses, great news for Sikhs, and great news for Seventh-day Adventists. Now, when it comes to Roman Catholics, to answer the question that may be in your mind, um, Roman Catholics and Seventh-day Adventists, I, I believe that there are genuine believers in Christ in both of those groups. However... There are also a lot of people in those groups that don't know Christ and because they've not been given the true gospel. So uh, my heart is, it really grieves me that people walking past have accepted these false prophets and false philosophies and are ignorant and they're heading to a lost eternity 
And what they need is truth. Now, these little books of mine, and um, which aren't very expensive, um, what I've tried to do, and it's not easy, I said to some guys here, that's not easy writing classics, you know. But um, it's not easy because um, I'm try I've written these booklets, one, to help Christians understand what these cults believe, mm. but also to be able to hand it to a person in a cult and for them to take it away and understand the true gospel. So and I come in alongside, I put my arm around them. What they, eh? Also possibly to understand what they are supposed to believe according to their religion, yeah, well, a lot because of them, a lot of them don't oh, know that. Absolutely. Like in the East, like Buddhism and, you know, um, and Hinduism, most Hindus don't know why they're Hindus. It's, it's a relational thing. In the East, you know, in the West, we're affected greatly by Greek philosophy, and which is important because it, it helps us to be logical, develop technology and truth and things like that. But, you know, I mean, if you go into a, and ask a Hindu person why you're a Hindu, most of them will say, because my family's Hindu. Yeah. They never sat down and asked, is this true? So it's all about harmony and relationship, keeping the family happy, and even Muslims, a lot of Muslims don't know what Islam teaches. They're cultural Muslims because they grew yep. up in a Muslim yep. country. Yep. And they've kind of absorbed it and it's their belief system. But they've never really questioned it. And so I'm asking them to question their faith, which is a very Western thing to do in a way. But I maintain that now India, where Hinduism is a predominant religion, and Asia, where Buddhism is quite strong, these, these, these countries now are huge on technology. And you can't do technology without logic. And so there's a whole younger generation that are growing up that are going to hopefully start thinking logically about yeah. faith. And they're going to be open, perhaps, to considering Christianity because Christianity is logical. Well, I, mean, I think that's there the are mysteries, but there is logical. Yeah, because yeah. When, when you teach the apologetics, mm -hmm. and again, uh, as I was talking with Michael Cook from Creation Ministries, the, the the Bible is actually logical in its science. Science matches up. And, and I say to a few people, we say, what do you believe? Oh, I'm, I'm this, that, and that. Well, does that match with the world you see? Yeah. You know, does what your does what your religion teach you match with what you experience in the world? Because to me, the only religion that does is Christianity, true biblical Christianity. <coughs> Excuse me, that's right. That's right, it does. I mean, Christianity is entirely different to every other religion. And including the cults. Well, it's, it's it's very similar to some religions, like Seventh-day Adventists have got a lot of Christianity, but they've also got a bit of nonsense in there. And, and Roman Catholicism has, in its early times, particularly adopted a lot of paganism into it. So you've got a mixture of belief systems there. And people come to Christ and do go into those groups, but their message is confused. Mm. <coughs> And so I'm just really helping them to sort, sort it out in their mind. But now, so many people of other ethnicities live in New Zealand that if somebody's got a, somebody's got a neighbour who's a Mormon, uh, well, I can, we can give them one of these little books. They can read what their neighbours believe, yep. and then they can hand it to them. And so that's not an easy thing to do because you've got two different Thank audiences. You, Don. Thank you, the, the boss bringing you Cheers. a glass of water. 21. Yep. <clears throat> Waikato River. Um, yeah, I know my wines. Uh, um, so uh, it's um, so th so the idea is you can hand them that as well. Yep. Except, of course, the Jehovah's Witnesses. If you hand a Jehovah's Witness a booklet, he's not supposed to read he's it. He's not allowed to take it. But 
if you're sneaky and find out where he lives, pop it in his letterbox. And there's nobody around. When he pulls it out, he might take it away and read it out of curiosity. It'd be nice if uh, some people who claim to be Christians would pick up their Bibles and read it out of curiosity. Absolutely. That would be great. Yeah. And, you know, I I think we need to pray that the Spirit of God will um, stir people up to love his word. You know, if you love God, you love his word. Yeah. And um, we need people to love God, and that's part of the problem. If I really love God, I'll put the time into getting to know him better. But people, in the end, we're kind of caught up in the idolatry of having all these different gods. Yeah. And in the end, it's like coming back and acknowledging who's going to be the number one priority and letting the other ones find their place. And and, um, and people's lifestyles have to change. You know, they might learn, yeah. earn less income. And a lot of the priority for us is, is it all about me? Which is humanism, yep. or is it all about Jesus? Yeah, we are um, our lives are f- to be lived for the glory of God. Yeah, but there's such a great joy and a new perspective in that that it, in the end it is abundant life. I t- I look at um, Paul's life, Second Corinthians eleven, where where Paul's had this problem in Corinthians where these um, <clears throat> these very powerful speakers have come around and taught, well, I did this for Jesus and I did this for Jesus. And who's this Paul fellow? What, what, what's he ever done? And so Paul starts boasting. He goes, oh, let's see. Uh, I've got been beaten by raw, with rods. I've been shipwrecked. I've been da-da-da-da-da. You know. and, and you read that and you go, yeah, Indiana Jones would kill for yeah. that life. Yeah. I really believe that we've lost touch with the theology of suffering. And so when people hit suffering... They become disillusioned with God because God wasn't supposed to. That's right. We're not supposed and to then, suffer. Yeah, and they yeah. their faith. But we need to teach people to understand it. You know, we're training for reigning. It's not all about this life. God is allowing us to go through stuff, and we don't understand maybe why. But in the new universe, we're going to have different responsibilities, you know. And uh, it's a little bit like, you know, in the army, they, the sergeant major, you, you want to die, basically. Or you think you're going to, and he, but, <laughs> yeah. he, but he knows that on the He's in the future on the you. battlefield, yep. you're going to need this stuff. Yep. And, and I think we, we, if we've got to adjust this life, let me be comfortable, let me have my heaven now perspective, then it's a distortion. But we've got to have the eternal perspective and trust God in His wisdom that He's training us. And I believe that I, even in this camp, just gone, the theme came through. We were we were in the plenary sessions. We were doing the various churches of Revelation. Yeah. And a number of these churches were hitting persecution for long. And I think the Lord is preparing his people for more persecution in New Zealand. I hope and so. And maybe it's a wake-up call. Yeah, well, I don't, I don't know. You know. I have an allergy to pain. And um, so uh, I hope that, uh, you know, not looking for it, yeah. persecution. But in the end, it does have a purifying effect. I think I'd rather be like Rocky and Rocky one. Remember, <laughs> ain't so bad, ain't so bad. Now get in there and fight the fight the good fight. It's not it's not armchair the good armchair. No, well that's true. You know it's fight the good fight. And I think that, that um, and I was, I was having a coffee with a guy the other day. We were just talking about our, our identity. Uh, for us as New Zealanders, we still have trouble with our identity. That's why we sling off at everybody else. Um, but as Christians, we we don't have we don't know who we are. We don't have this identity. For to me. For two reasons. Number one, we don't know the Word of God. Mm. I haven't got my identity out of that. And number two, because I haven't put into practice what I do know, 
And so I don't really know. When I teach guitar, I say to people, do this. And they go, well, what am I doing that? It doesn't feel, just do it. And after a while they go, oh, now I know why I'm doing that. Mm -hmm. Because having done it, which is the old Jewish way of doing things, you understand by doing a thing, not by just knowing yeah, yeah, it. Yeah. But you do it, you go, oh, that's why I'm doing that. Mm. You know, But you don't get that unless you do it. And with that's our right. faith, you, you don't understand half of what the scriptures are talking about unless you actually put it into practice. That's right. And part of that is actually, sad, well, sadly, part of that is the, the, the persecution, the suffering side. Mm. You go, mm. ah. And then yeah. you and then you get to rely on God yeah. as my shield and as my strong tower. Yeah, and you look at a lot of the Psalms; they're just born out of David's struggles and yeah. his suffering, and, and it's just beauty. And to understand that you've been through this, but the Lord was through, was right there with you through it, and that intimacy with God is in the end, would be our great goal. I spoke to a guy one time on Rima, and it was um, Persecution Sunday. And I have no idea where the, this guy was. His name was Juan. And I didn't know if that was a Chinese Juan or a Spanish Juan. From, but he'd been in, uh, in jail uh, for his faith. And he, he was released from jail. He was expecting to be arrested any day. Oh. And I said, I said, Juan, do you want me? I said, oh, look, I've got 65,000 listeners at the moment. Do you want me to pray, with all of us to pray, that this persecution stops? And he goes, no, I forbid you. And I said, uh, you, you have to explain that, you know, you forbid me mm. to pray that the persecution mm. stops. And then he says, he says, yes, I'm sorry, I'm being selfish. And I said, you've, you, you've got to unpack that. For, but yeah, we didn't use yeah, the yeah. word unpack because that word wasn't used then. But he said, he said Rob, there is a, a sweetness in the relationship with Jesus mm. when I'm being persecuted that's not there when the persecution stops. And I refuse to give it up. And I know that's selfish. We, <laughs> yeah. do, we don't understand. No, James 1, consider it pure joy. Yeah. When you get all of these challenges, <laughs> all this persecution, yeah. when you have trials of different kinds. What's wrong with your brain, James? <laughs> yeah, I know. But you know, he experienced that as he well. He knows what it's like. And, uh, and there is a, you know, there is a, Somebody once said, no go, no low, you know, because, you know, go yep. make disciples and low I am with you always. And I'm not convinced Christ isn't with us when we're not evangelizing, but um, there does seem to be an extra dimension to the sense of his presence when we're going out and doing what we ought to be doing and getting some of the flack for it. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm still not convinced we should look for the persecution, but we certainly should be willing to accept whatever comes because we're being obedient to Christ. Yeah, and that's the key is the being obedient. Lou, thank you so much for your time. Uh, and I know you're about to have a nice long holiday from all your work for the year. So um, hopefully you'll let us catch up with you sometime later. I've enjoyed it. Good on you, Rob. Thank Good you. Day. God bless you.